Welcome to episode 264 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In early 2015, right after I left my career to pursue entrepreneurship full-time, I was flummoxed by the question, who is your ideal client? For five years, I've been presenting my signature Heart of the Schmooze talk to nonprofit boards of directors. I knew though, as I made this shift, that I no longer wanted to limit my reach to nonprofits. Yet, I didn't have a clear sense of who my new target audience was going to be. That first year, I was confronted by this ideal client question multiple times as I signed up for programs that were designed to help me get up and running quickly. Unfortunately, they skipped over how to figure out this question when I wasn't currently being paid by anyone other than repeat clients whom I'd already determined were not ideal clients. Some programs got really specific about this question, asking me, do they drink Starbucks or Dunkin'? Do they listen to audiobooks or podcasts? Are they listening in the car or in the shower? Urgh, I found this quite frustrating. Fortunately, I recognize that my passion for designing engaging events and teaching participants how to network was a great fit for associations that host large conferences. I solidified my expertise in that area by writing my first book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Fast forward to 2018, when I'm trying to sell spots in a new coaching program that I had successfully run as a pilot a few months earlier. In my latest book, Small List Big Results, launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. I shared my trials and tribulations as I began to realize that I had an entirely new ideal client for my coaching program. Turns out they were already coming to me for advice, support, and services, but I hadn't really taken notice of what all these people had in common. The first thing I noticed was that they were all entrepreneurial women in their 50s. And once I recognized this, it didn't take much effort to focus my energy on this demographic as they were a large part of my professional network. Over the last few years, I've learned that while defining my ideal client using demographics is helpful, it's also limiting. Not all entrepreneurial women in their 50s and beyond are ideal clients. So what else might be going on in their lives? And how should I think about the entrepreneurial men in their 50s and beyond who've been showing up for my programs recently. Turns out that psychographics was the nuance I was missing in my ideal client description. I help inspiring entrepreneurial women and awesome entrepreneurial men in their 50s and beyond who are looking to grow their impact and income by adding new revenue streams. They feel like they're starting from scratch and haven't tapped into their professional network they've built over the last 20 to 30 years, but now realize they should be. If you're an ideal client, I would love to chat with you. So please reach out. My email address is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. Here's your challenge this week. Do you have a hard time defining the demographics and psychographics of your ideal clients? Perhaps you're shifting audiences like I was back in 2015 or being oblivious like I was in 2018. Wouldn't it be great to discover likely prospects from within your existing network who already know, like, and trust you. That's what I help my ideal clients do 
so they can more easily share their value with prospects who most desire what they have to offer. I'm hosting another three-part big results training to walk you through key strategies in small list big results. Launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. You should bring a notebook to take tons of notes, but also be camera ready so you can connect with fellow entrepreneurs during the breakout room small group discussions. We meet 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern, January 21st through 23rd. That's Friday through Sunday. The replay will be shared with everyone who registers, but you are strongly encouraged to attend live, if at all possible, since that's the only way to join the discussion and ask questions. Register at robbysamuels.com forward slash big results training. Did I mention this is all free? It is. So go ahead and register robbysamuels.com forward slash big results training. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, I want to give a special shout out to my book launch team. With their help, small list big results reached 4,202 in all U.S. Kindle, number one in eight paid Amazon categories, was a number one new release in five categories, and received 170 reviews. Are you hoping for similar results with your next book? I shared all the details of how I ran my book launch in a book launch strategies masterclass, which includes a 90-minute video and 25 pages of detailed notes. You can sign up for access at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch strategies. You can use promo code launch, that's L-A-U-N-C-H, to receive 33% off a $50 savings. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch strategies. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is all about building rock-solid relationships and exceeding people's expectations. Having an innate curiosity, she has leveraged that into building business relationships and teaches others how to do the same. Her passion is working with people who want to build their businesses through relationship marketing and networking. She shares online and offline strategies to build and sustain solid relationships with past present, and future customers that lead to more sales and more referrals. She's the host of the Relationships Rule podcast, interviewing people who share her value of the importance of relationships and nurturing them. Please join me in welcoming Janice Porter. Thank you so much, Robbie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. Janice, I'm thrilled you're joining us You're uh, from your home in Vancouver in Canada. This is really fun for me because I got to be on your show, which is how we met and I love the idea of turning the tables a little bit. As you know, the context of my show is leadership and networking. So let's just kick this right off. You know, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Okay. So um, I knew that this question was coming and I didn't know how I was actually going to answer it. But I think if I could, I want to flip it for a second and go from the second part first. Because when did I first realize? I don't know if I thought I was a leader at the time or just bossy. But I remember being on the playground in elementary school days and always being the leader, you know, and some people like that and some people don't like that. But it was just innate, you know, me wanting to organize the, the play or organize the people and, and put things into, um, into perspective that way. So I think that's when I sort of started that, that feeling or that, that essence of leadership. But what leadership for me really is, and I think it started also a long time ago, is 
is being able to teach people. I know that being a leader is being able to influence people. And so for me, it's influencing them through teaching. And I think, I, I think that's important to me because I see so many people today being coaches and leading people from behind. And I see myself more as a trainer and a teacher, which to me is leading with, with example and by example. It's, it's a little bit different. I actually really love these distinctions. Um, so I'm going to come back to your definition in a moment because I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow your lead and do the second question first. I love that you went back to the playground. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the show, but when I ask this question, people often say, uh, grad school, <laughs> uh, my first job in corporate America. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, what about, and I try to roll them back. And I literally have said, what were you like on the playground? You know, like no, I, I, it's weird that that came up for me because I have heard your your show and I wasn't thinking about that when I thought of that example. So, but it really is nice that that you know who you are is who you are, right? Like there's certain innate qualities that then can be enhanced or diminished depending on the environment that you're finding yourself in. But you were sort of the person who didn't shy away from being sort of seen, visible. Um, and I, and I, and I agree that, you know, little girls often get the label bossy for knowing what they want, but you also don't want to have someone who's just always behind the scenes and hiding. So, you know, it's, it's a good quality to, to nurture. Were, were there people in your life when you were younger who saw it and appreciated it and did sort of nurture that aspect of you? Well, that's an interesting question, actually. Yes. I would say, and, and again, I'm not sure if it was totally positive because oh, it, it goes into a whole different uh, sort of piece of my life. But my father was a very um, much of a leader or saw himself that way. And people saw him in that way. But my mother, who got married very young, was, you know, this was in the uh, the fifties and, and, you know, the, the homemaker and don't worry about it, dear. I will look after it kind of thing is what was, was bred for her. And when I was 13, we were from England and we had moved to Canada. And when we came, we were going back to visit for four years later. I think I was nine when we came to Canada, my father wasn't coming. It was my mother and my little sister and myself and my father gave me instructions and said, when you get to the airport, do this and do this, not my mother. So again, you know, it's how you see it. But I remember that very clearly that I was seen as the leader. I was the older child as well. And so they, that's, you know, compared to the, the younger child, you're treated differently. It's just the way it is. Yeah, you were seen as being responsible, that you'd, you'd have the chutzpah to like go up and talk to people if you needed to. Um, yeah, yeah, like interesting, like what was expected of you. Um, and someone also interesting generationally, the differences of, of what a woman's expectations could be for herself mm -hmm. uh, between what, what your mother was sort of growing up in, the constraints that she grew up in. And she did whatever she did within those constraints. And you, your constraints were much wider. Um, yes. And, and yet that continues to evolve. I, I think it's always so interesting for me to have these conversations and realize that people have a through line often. It's not one you always see because it shows up differently in different parts of our life. When you were got to college and, and, and post-college, your first years in, in the, the workforce, like how did you show up then in the world? Did you still have that like I show up first and bring others with me kind of attitude? I did. I remember my first day registering at university. And I'm in Canada. We 
it was either university, which was the one of the big ones here, or college is a smaller sort of community college. I was going to University of British Columbia. It was a big, big university. And I, you know, carpooled out there the first day with my friends and we all were holding on to our, you know, supposed schedule courses that we wanted to get. I was the one in the front. I was the one saying, ask for this course, do that, do the other. And they were following my lead. So I do remember that very clearly. And when I started work, after I graduated, I was a a teacher. I graduated as an elementary school teacher. And now I'm, I was, because we come from England, I was a bit ahead of myself. I was younger than everybody else. So I was 21 when I started teaching. I was 20 when I graduated, turned 21 in September. And I was given a second grade class of 36 seven-year-olds, basically. Yeah. 30s in a public school system in a not very great neighborhood socioeconomic-wise. And Throughout that first few months, I realized that that was a huge responsibility, right? I had 36 little kids in the palm of my hand, but I was only 21 years old. And what did I know? So it, it didn't hit me right away. I thought I was, you know, the boss and I was, I was going to be fine. But it did start to hit me. You know when? When I had my first parent-teacher interviews. <laughs> yeah. I, wow. Yeah, what were those it's like? A lot. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. And something else happened because um, you asked a question that you might ask me and you didn't ask me this question yet, but I'm going to bring it up because it kind of fits into that if you don't mind. And you asked about um, a time that I faced a challenge in my work and overcame it. And the, the very first one that came to my mind was in that first year of teaching. And I had a school principal my boss, so to speak, who was really challenging in himself as a person. I think he had some personal problems. He had a drinking problem. Anyway, we, we would go to staff meetings and he would read the agenda, you know, like that was the meeting. And it's like, we can read the agenda before we come, you know, like, what are we actually talking about? And so throughout that year, I guess I challenged him one too many times and he got, you know, cause that's who I was. And maybe not in a most mature manner, because as I said, I was 21 years old. But eventually it led to him, um, and it's not easy to get somebody removed from a teaching position, Um, but uh, he got moved out of what he was doing because there were issues and it took somebody like me to be brave enough to, you know, say something. Now, it wasn't without its problems because I ended up changing schools as well, but he did eventually... um, get demoted, so to speak. And so I feel that that challenge brought me to, you have to stand up for yourself when you really believe something, but you also have to learn how to do it in a better way sometimes, you know? It is so hard when you're younger and don't yet have the the value of experience to know how to nuance some of this messaging. Um, It took me years to understand that there was an idea of calling people in as opposed to calling people out. Um, like, like, you know, like, and and there are benefits of both. There are moments where both are appropriate. Um, but, but that you should know that you have more than one tool in your toolbox. And when you first start, you really just have a hammer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, you originally came, uh, into the world thinking you were going to be a teacher. I did not know that, but it also blends well with what you said earlier about your definition of leadership. Um, well, how's that for a callback? So, um, <laughs> and I, I can really concur with you because I am a coach. 
Um, but I am definitely cut from the cloth of coaching and who teaches. And I know the pure coaching is just you ask questions and you help people illuminate. Yeah. And it's very therapy kind of thing. And I have an MSW. I, mean, I, I get the theory behind that. But I think that people can unlock things if you can give them a little more tools <laughs> and the right questions. So I like the blend. I, I, I don't want to just train. I want to be thinking on their own. But, but I think there's value in that. And, and I never thought about that being a form of leadership, which is why I love the show, because we get to have this okay. conversation. Okay. Well, that's interesting, too, because now the, the questions come from my end. Um, because as a, as a trainer and in, in whatever I'm training people to do, because I'm now even thinking about, you know, well, my granddaughter's still too little, but I'm seeing some things come back around the teaching model with her. And what you just said is asking the right questions so that you are, you know, that old saying of teaching them how to fish as opposed to, I can't even remember what the code is now, but. Give them out of fish. Don't give them out of fish. Teach them out of fish. That's yeah. right. So, so, so there's a real um, skill in, in doing that, asking the right questions to make them think rather than just show them the right way to do it. Right. right. That's the difference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. But how long were you a teacher? I was a teacher in two iterations, first time for five years. And then I um, took some time off and then eight years again after that. And then I moved from teaching to corporate training. Oh, that's So for, in some ways, a progression that didn't like, it wasn't a, a random progression, but how did you get into corporate? Like that's, yeah. that's the part that seems harder to do. Training makes sense, but the corporate part. Yeah, it was. Um, but it was, I fell into it because teaching here had changed. It got too political and it became, um, well, that, to not get into the politics of it, it became uni unionized. That's as far as I'll go. But I was off on maternity leave at that time after my eight year stint and I just couldn't see myself going back to a different environment like that. It wasn't me. I wasn't that person that, that believed in that. Now, strangely enough, my husband, he's a teacher and he was a, a career teacher because he was a coach, a basketball coach. And all of that kept him there and he loved it. And he let that other thing sort of go by the wayside. He could do that. I couldn't. So when I was given the opportunity, when I was off on maternity leave, I was like, Mm, I need to start. They started calling me. Here's a position. You want to go talk to this principal? And I'd go and I'd talk to them. And then my whole stomach would just go, you know, I couldn't do it. So at the time, I was playing bridge with some friends and they said, Hey, there's a part time. Someone's looking at, at the, the, it was the telephone company. They want some soft skills trainers. Are you interested part time? Because I had a little baby at this point, right? And I said, oh, sure, I'll go and check it out. No problem. Yeah, because if you can teach, you can teach, right? So my friend said, well, just send me your resume and I'll take it over. I said, resume? What? I just taught school. I don't know about resumes. Anyway, that's, that was my introduction into the corporate world. And I, I did start um, doing soft skills training and then turned that into a contractor career for 18 years, um, learning how to teach people about Telephone equipment, voicemail equipment, programming the equipment, everything. So it was fun. It was it was great gig while it lasted. I'm not surprised that there's a relationship at the um, beginnings of 
you making that shift because <laughs> that makes so much sense for who you are and how the world works. Um, and that, but that you were open to it, that you were like, I'm not tied to what I have been doing. I'm open to new ideas. Part-time seems fine right now. I have a little one, like, like yeah. it kind of all fits together, but you, but that fact that someone else looked at you and said, Hey, what about this thing? And they, they knew you and gave you that, that sort of opportunity in. It is also, I thought it was interesting uh, when you say contractor work, you were still the, the clients were these companies like you or were you hired were you were you working yeah, at the so company I, I was working as a contractor for the telephone company in in the customer training department so i worked for the con, for the telephone company they went out they sold the equipment to the big companies the law firms the accountant firms the small business owners right. it was everything and uh, someone went and programmed the system. Then we, the trainers, go in and we train the end users and the, and these um, the people who program the equipment uh, how to use it. And I didn't have to go find my own uh, customers. That's what I was just thinking. Yes, I was just thinking absolutely. a great training ground for an entrepreneur to do everything other than you know hunt Run business, <laughs> right? Yes, it was very different. And I did have a rude awakening. And I chose to be a contractor all those years because I wanted to have the flexibility to go to my daughter's basketball games, you know, take her to softball, do all these things when I wanted to. And it worked until it didn't. Then I was like, no more contractors, the early 2000s, things were changing. And I had to redefine myself and reinvent myself. Were you surrounded by entrepreneurs by that point? Did you know people who were doing that kind of business? Not until I had to do it myself. And that's when I... Yeah, tell me. I want to know where you started. Well, I started at the time by having to figure out I have to have a company name. I'm gonna. I don't want to get the job, so I got to figure out what I'm gonna do. So I started networking at the Chamber of Commerce. That was the first place I went um, to see, you know, what was out there, what were people doing, and and I just started going to these, you know, events and talking to people and meeting people, and found I love doing that too. By the way, and then I actually met someone who. I was I was dabbling in the world of network marketing or multi-level marketing at the time as well. And then I met this woman who had created a, a system for um, small office, home office organizing for people. And she was selling licenses. And so I ended up working with her for three years and organizing small office, home office, so solopreneurs, small entrepreneurs. And then I started to see what they were all doing. And how they couldn't keep their things in order. <laughs> it was quite interesting. Anyway, um, so I kind of felt my way, you know, slowly but surely. But honestly, teaching does not teach you how to run a business. There's no, I didn't have any business skills at all. So and with that opportunity where you were spending three years helping people organize their mm-hmm. small home office spaces also must have given you such an opening, uh, an eye opening uh, to like what their problems were. They think their problem is keeping things organized, but there's always other things attached to that. Did that end up then helping you figure out later what you wanted to to offer people? Was any of that information useful or did you have to buy, find your own way to a new, a new marketplace? Well, it's interesting because it helped me, but I think I was still on my own path because I started... As well, okay, through having to find my own clients for this um, organizing business, 
Um, although, you know, I learned the system from my friend, Tammy, and she also was an entrepreneur. She was my first real experience or um, with an entrepreneur. And so I, I watched her. I did some work in her office, too, so I could see what she was doing and that I kept networking. And then I found myself, I had to start speaking in front of these groups to be able to, you know, give them some value and show them, you know, what I could do for them to get business. So it all started me on the path of learning how to be a good networker and then teaching people how to do that. And so I started out kind of being a networking coach in a way, along with the, um, small office, home office organizing. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing for the longest time. I just know that I made myself very visible and, you know, very like connecting with different people. And I wasn't afraid to pick up the phone and talk to people. And now that I think of it, I got into a a thing with the Kidney Foundation. I needed to get some money coming in, and they offered me an opportunity to run a charity event for two days and make some money for them. And it was an event that have you ever heard of, like a jail and bail event, where um, they put people in jail and they had to phone and get donations to bail them out. Okay, I took it to a whole other level, and I had local celebrities in jail. And then I had them phoning people and we raised like $30,000 in two days, which then was a lot of money. And I got a little bit of attention that way from people. And so I saw, and then I worked with a friend of mine who was doing events and we did event planning. I don't know. I just learned the ropes as I went. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us, that's what we start doing. You know, we spend a lot of time testing, learning, and it's hard to know what you're good at that people will value. If you feel like it doesn't take a lot of effort, like networking is one of those things clearly you were drawn to when, once you had the opportunity to do it, it wasn't hard for you. How did you realize that it was something other people needed? And then part two of this is, and we're willing to pay for it. How, how did you define that? Um, that's a good question. And I don't know if I did for the longest time until, you know, maybe I was, and I, it's a bit vague because it was a while ago, but I remember, I remember like, okay, for example, this was a volunteer thing that I did because of my family's love of basketball. And I had to do something to be part of this because I didn't play and I didn't coach and, you know, but I could do something else. So I got involved on the board of basketball BC, which is a nonprofit organization. And the thing that I love to do, I was able to take to this organization, which was be the person in charge of the yearly event, which celebrated basketball. And so because of my networking connections, I was able to bring people in, right? And bring a, an MC in or bring a speaker in that, that maybe somebody else didn't. And we had some amazing events each, you know, in that situation. And again, it just built my network. Did I get paid for it in that sense? No, but it really helped me. It, it really helped me in so many ways. It gave me that, that confidence, but it also gave me the credibility, that I was able to go and get paid for other things in that, you know, so it took me a long time. It's such a good example though, Janice, because a lot of people don't know how to start. There's that whole, like, you need a job to get a job. Um, You know, you need experience to, to, to get experience. Like, so people are like, how do I start? How do I start? And especially if you're shifting from like one 
type of work to another type of work. And you can't like imagine that anything you currently know would be valuable because <laughs> um, you don't know that people need that skill. So for you to say, well, I, 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 I like doing events. I have a skill doing that. I can bring that to this, this board, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then it showcases your talents and it shows you that it's valued. So I think that networking through volunteering is such a good idea generally, but particularly if you can then use that to sort of showcase or even develop skills in an area that you really weren't valuing. Part of the reason I asked that question though, I'm going to just share a little of my own uh, history. Um, I love networking. I, I didn't know it was a thing that I, I didn't know it was a thing that people didn't do. I just did it. Right. And then I, I started this fix this, uh, sorry, this meetup group back in 2004, 2005, I should say. And a year in, we hosted an event and gathered all of our regulars together. And it was at that gathering. I said, Hey, you remember how we're very welcoming and we're very friendly. And that's why you keep coming back. We want you to help us do that. And we're going to, you know, identify you as our regulars. We're going to give you this name. And then we want you to like come 15 minutes early. Everyone said, no problem. I said, okay, there's always awkward people who show up first who are brand new. Talk to them. No problem. Can you help out at the front desk? No problem. Okay. And then just like, you know, work the room and, you know, hang out and schmooze. And they were like deer in headlights. <laughs> they, like, so it turns out that the majority of the people in the room, there's about a dozen, 18 people. I don't remember. But like a lot of them were shy and or introverted and they mm -hmm. kept coming back because we had made it a welcoming space but they did not have the natural gift to go work a room and schmooze so um i found myself teaching and and one-on-one -on -one, and eventually that became a training and eventually the training led to a whole career so that's how you start to realize oh people need this so i was getting booked to speak but when i tried doing a coaching program i found that while people complain about networking <laughs> they don't want to pay to fix it. It's not an urgent problem. And it took me a long time to figure out that the, the workaround for me was business development. So my first book was all about network at a conference, sort of general, right? And a lot of people could, could find value in it, but it wasn't urgent. But my second book is about business development. <laughs> and it's still, by the way, networking. <laughs> um, but it's just really funny how you have to find ways to package what you do to meet what people need. And you're really known in the LinkedIn space. You're not mm -hmm. just about relationships. You're really well known in the LinkedIn space. And that is a place that I think people do at times in their career find it urgent to get better at that. Mm -hmm. How did you figure out who to market that to? Because that is a very specific you know, area, but it's flooded with people who say they're good at it. Like there's so many people who are LinkedIn experts. Yeah, <laughs> and how do you differentiate yourself and how, who are your people? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm still figuring it out. But um, basically, my business has mostly come from referrals. Okay. And it usually, I'm blessed that I have, I've networked in the, the real estate industry, the mortgage broker industry. And um, mostly because of my network marketing piece with my send out cards, because that's another tool that I use for staying connected to people. Um, but so many people over the last few years have gravitated away from Facebook and into LinkedIn, but they don't know what to do, that, um, that they've reached out to me and then one person to another to another. And then I maybe do a, um, a presentation at a, for a group and, and it comes from there. But I think that as much as I've heard this from other people, I do believe that my unique proposition on LinkedIn is that I'm never going to automate everything. I'm all about organic growth 
And you have to engage with people, not a third party. It's you. You have to pay attention. And it's not all about you. It's about what your audience um, is looking for and how you can solve those problems. And so I, tr- I guess I treat what I do the same way. You know, I'm saying I'm your person if. That makes a lot of sense, though. And I, you're my person because of the way you just said that, right? Which is why you and I hit it off right away. I, I think, you know, I just yesterday spoke to someone who's hosting a virtual summit. And I made a decision about nine months ago that I wasn't going to be saying yes to virtual summits because I said yes to a lot and they were poorly run and it was a lot of work. And I said, you know, I reserve the right to like have one that, I, you know, I, I reserve the right to say yes, but not, you know, generally no. I don't know how it happened, but I got a message on LinkedIn and it was something about it that made me want to look at it and read it and click on it. And next thing you know, I'm like, sure, here's my email. Send me more information. I read the email. I filled out the form. I then, you know, booked a call. I talked to this guy. He's our kind of people. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, now he did have to do automation to research, right? He was using a, a keyword search to find people. He wasn't, it wasn't organic in the sense that he stumbled across me. It wasn't referral, like word of mouth. Like he knew the kind of people. It wasn't a tool that reached out for him to. No, it wasn't a tool, but he did use something to like identify me. And then he had a team member send me the message in his behalf, right? Because he's got to scale the effort. But there was a way it was written that gets through that my BS detector for LinkedIn is so high. And it always surprises me when I I find myself on a Zoom call with someone that I met through. I'm like, wait, where did we connect? Was it LinkedIn? Well, that's that's fascinating. I want to go back and look at your message because compare that to the dozens a week day that I get that are just like, oh, you know, really? So I, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. I, I wanted to kind of call attention to your way of doing it. Because if anyone is thinking about doing more on LinkedIn, you're the kind of person I'd want people to know about because I don't want more people spamming me. <laughs> I want more people <laughs> offering value to me. And I don't know, I don't know why they think it's going to work. Sometimes I have written back and said, does this work? <laughs> and I've written back and said, are you real? <laughs> I've done that too. You know, yeah. are you real or is this a robot, you know, type of thing. I know. So, I mean, I think there, there are people who appreciate your methodology because they don't like me, the alternative. They don't even know your alternative is out there, perhaps. And you mentioned some markets. You talked about mortgage and you talked about real estate. Those are all, those are professionals, right? Mm-hmm. So professionals need to continuously find new leads, but they're different in some ways than a solopreneur. Like I know there's some similarities, but there are some distinct differences too, do you agree? And, and what are those for you? Like, how do you think that might be different than selling to someone like myself as a coach? You mean selling my services? Yeah. I think having some knowledge of whichever industry that people are in is helpful, number one. And number two, I think, yes, realtors, mortgage brokers, they're, quote, in air quotes, professionals. A lot of them, though, you, you have to teach them how to realize that it's this is not about you, okay? And so for so many of those people in that sales type of um, situation, it, they're going to have more, probably more luck or more success, I should say, um, 
looking for referral partners, looking for strategic partners on LinkedIn, not necessarily the end user. I mean, that could be anybody, but then anybody is everybody and, you know, then it's nobody. Right. So I think that's an approach. But, you know, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, coaches, the biggest thing I tell them is, look, I'm your person if, you know, if you realize that it's about relationships, if you're in a hurry, then maybe it's not a good fit because you can't build a relationship that quickly, but you have to do it in an honest way. You have to do it where you give value to people and you show how you can solve their problems. So again, coaches, um, I think to be honest, and I should check, but I don't think you have this on there. Um, Yes, maybe you do actually. I have this thing about coaches. Coaches have the way of putting all these these letters after their name. Oh, I have a master's in social work after my name. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I have a bachelor's of education. I'm just as proud of that. But you know what? There's a place for it in my, in my profile. And I feel as though people need to realize that everybody's supposed to just put their name on their name line. And that's a policy and procedure of LinkedIn. But now I'm teaching. And so I don't really want to go there. I got a job once because I had that on my account, on my thing. I got hired <laughs> to teach at a university. Because, because that, that, and I'm not saying don't have yeah. it, have it in the headline. Well, not it's not important. It's funny how it's important, but not important to use up my headline. <laughs> but someone was looking for, I mean, I, I could teach at a university with an MSW because um, it's, it's, yeah. it's close to a terminal degree. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I get it. So I, I, so interesting. I want to underscore something you said earlier about, um, um, let me think. Okay. You said, oh, it's not about you. <laughs> this is true for a lot of people. <laughs> um, I think I've worked with clients that they're launching a podcast and the first email they send out about it, they, they send me the draft and I'm like, I don't care how excited you are. I don't know what the, I don't even know what this podcast is about yet. What's in it for me? And they're like, oh, my, can you make the first paragraph about the value of the show? <laughs> it's fine for you to then let them know you're, you're, you're excited that you're finally bringing it to the world. But like the fact that the first four lines are about how excited you are, you know, it's like we're not going to keep reading. And I, and I think that's true. The content you put online and all that. I did recently, uh, I guess it's now been a year that I've had a strategy around LinkedIn. And I'll be truthful. I didn't really have a clear strategy for that. But I have been putting content out consistently since, I guess, about September of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, every uh, day, I have uh, every morning, I have original content. And in the afternoon, I'm generally sharing something for my network. Um, I do a mixture of video and, you know, li- and links to articles. And I rewrite other people's, I share other people's articles and write a little note. And I start doing Follow Friday. And like, so it's been really fun. And it's not hard, but I think for most people, but they have to realize you just start somewhere. Everything mm-hmm. I'm doing today, I did not start doing today. Like right. I started building a rhythm around it um, a year ago, you know? <laughs> right? Be consistent. You know, yeah. you don't have to be on there every day, but you have to be consistent. And just figuring out like, how can I have someone help me? Like, how do we even spending time doing collaborative discussions about the content? So I'm not just in my own head all the time. Um, someone helping me like read the article and come up with like the five points that I'm going to put in the, the thing. Like it's just, I'm a busy, I'm a busy business owner, but there's still ways to make this work. And I, my best, uh, the best thing I love is when people say, how do you act like you, you, you somehow managed to get back to me in a way that makes me think I'm the only person I talked to that day. 
And I'm like, yes, that's right. You're the only person I talked to that day. <laughs> They're like, no, no, no. I'm like, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you show up for people, you know, like you give them what they need, the attention they need, the resources they need. Um, I think LinkedIn is a wonderful untapped resource. I also think it's changed mm-hmm. dramatically. And I'd love to hear your thought on this because when I joined LinkedIn, it really was just a place to put my resume. I've been on it for a long time and it really, it was static mm-hmm. and they've added so many features. I just got my LinkedIn live. Um, <laughs> but like, how do we approach it now? Cause it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's social media. I still just, I still feel like there's a distinction from the way I think of, I don't know, uh, Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, although there are people who are blurring the lines about what they post. I find it so interesting. Like your professional like stuff's attached to this, but how do you think we should think about LinkedIn today? Well, I think that LinkedIn definitely, as you say, has changed. And what's made it change though a lot in the last two years, I'm going to say three years, maybe at the most, is that Facebook isn't doing what Facebook used to do. Now, you know, Facebook pages are nothing. They're a waste of time unless you pay for advertising. That's what it's about. So now those people that weren't getting success are now going over to LinkedIn, but they don't know what to do with it. It's a different animal. So it's kind of um, uh, the word I wanted to use, I can't use, but um, like, it's it's cheapening it in a way. If that's not the word I wanted to use, but I had it was a swear word and I, I couldn't do it. So um, an illegitimate son word that was what it was. You know they're they're making it not what it really is. So I always say when you're on LinkedIn, treat it like um, a cocktail party. Treat it like a um, a charity gala event. You're a little more dressed up. It's a little more formal. You're drinking a beautiful glass of champagne. However, however. When you're looking at the content on LinkedIn, the posts that get the most success seem to be the ones that open you up a little bit more, that show a little bit more about you. So it is a social media platform still. It's just the level of of what you put there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I I remember seeing um, uh, a young man who was in the finances industry who um, was a client of mine because his boss had paid for it and we had to do his profile. But he learned very quickly from being on the other uh, social social media sites that he um, made it have a sense of humor. And he posted this picture of a charity event that he'd been in and how he had to, he was I think part of the deal was he had to be in a race wearing high heel shoes or something. And he had a picture of himself with these red high heels on in this thing. And he got more ink on that, more engagement because it, it opened him up. Right. And it made him um, show us a side of him that wasn't all stuffy with his shirt and tie. So yes, you want to have some of that, just not to the extent that you would on Facebook or Instagram. I hope that makes sense. It does totally make sense. I would actually love to know on, on your, uh, for your business or in your personal life, what habits or practices or philosophies you have around how you keep in touch, not just with your inner circle, but like maybe that second and third layer out people you see once a year at a conference or you worked with five years ago, but you don't have a reason to work with right now, but you like these people. You like these people. They're just not close friends. And I know you have one resource in particular that you are, are, are like a evangelist for. So I know that will come up. But tell me, tell me more about what you do as yeah, you do this. Well, my first uh, go-to, which is going to age me completely, is always to pick up the phone. And sometimes I get a prompting 
when I see someone's name, you know, on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever I am, and I go, oh my God, I'm going to phone them, right? It could be a stranger, by the way, or it could be someone I haven't seen for a long time. And I am always so heartened when someone actually picks up, answers the phone, okay? And when they do, it's usually really good. It's just like, you know, obviously I make sure that, you know, do you have five minutes or can we book another time? Because I was just thinking about you. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is I'm not really one for, and I know there's a place for it, but I've never really gotten in the rhythm of my newsletter going out on a regular basis. I find, you know, I need to get better at that just to be for touch points. However, um, my cards are another thing. Like, the best thing that I have instituted in the last um, six months is I finally got smart and hired a VA just for this. And in fact, I'm going to be doing a little demo of this later today. Um, I've gone to my Facebook birthdays. You know, we look at the birthdays on Facebook. Now I'm able to reach out to these people who aren't very big, you know, I don't know them that well, or I haven't talked to them for a long time. We pull in, ask them for their birth, for their uh, address so that we can celebrate them. And then we send them not a birthday card, but a either little bit late birthday card or a celebrate your birthday month card so that they get it and they get something. And quite often that will initiate a conversation. And The other thing is my favorite thing to do. And again, this is on Facebook and I don't use Facebook a lot other than to scroll and and look at things. And then I see life events that are happening in people's lives. And I pull that off, put it on a postcard and send it to them saying, you need to celebrate this on the fridge or you need to, you know, this is fridge worthy or this is a photo memory that shouldn't just be in your phone. And so that's what I do. And those are the things that people, you know, always, always say, oh, your card king, you'll never believe it came at just the right time. Now you and uh, Candice Rodarte are my send out cards folks. Um, and she, she's been in my life for, for a while now. And she will regularly um, share with me <laughs> things from this. Was, I, was, I was showing this uh, to you, but no one else can see it. But yeah. um, I was on her show and your show uh, in, in close succession and got uh, send out cards, wow. right? But she'll grab the image of something I posted and send it to me. Exactly. And, um, when I moved, I was like, oh, I have this all in a box. I got to get them up. So I keep thinking I'm going to put them up. But like you said, it, it makes tangible these moments in our life that are fleeting because they're virtual. And it's, it's a really neat idea um, to think about how to do that. I've started using a system where I, I did collect everyone's address on, um, and now I'm forgetting the name of the, of the, the system, but I collect people's addresses and I, I send out regular cards basically. Um, and it's been, it has been so helpful to have people's addresses. I think that's the first thing is that the intention to start asking people for their address and then yeah. figure out what you're going to do with it. Cause you just, you need that, you need the information to get I going. Know, that tangible touch, you know what that does? It takes people from their head to their yeah. heart, you know? It's so nice. I, I, we could talk forever. I have one closing uh, question for you. If we were connecting a year from now, and we're, and I know we're going to stay in connection between <laughs> now and then, but let's say it's a year from now, and I'm like, wow, Janice, you know, what's been going on this past year? What should we be celebrating? I want to know, what are we going to be toasting? What are the things you're most looking forward to in the year ahead? Great question. My goals right now are around taking what I'm doing with LinkedIn, number one, and going back to 
um, people I've trained, people that I don't speak to very often now, and try to build, not try, and build a community, a membership piece where people that I've worked with can come on a regular basis and ask questions, learn what's new, be part of a new community that I want to build. That's one of the things. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to celebrate. Is there another one? Well, the other one is just uh, basically sharing what I do with more people. But I, in order to do that, the first thing has to be my new website, which is another project that has to come first to include that membership piece and to grow my podcast. I just, I really enjoy doing that. Speaking of which, I would love to have people know more about how to find you and follow your work. Thank you. Uh, JanicePorter.com is the easiest way. They can see my LinkedIn training pieces there. They can get a link to my podcast there. Uh, what have I forgotten? I think that's, and LinkedIn. They can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn and tell me they heard me on this podcast and I'd love to connect with people there. So. And I know that Janice is going to share this on LinkedIn because I know I'm going to share it and tag oh. her. So when you see this on LinkedIn, folks, comment. Let us know you saw it and let us know what your biggest takeaway was from our conversation. Janice, you dropped a lot of great tips in here. A lot of great experiences you shared. Thank you so much for this conversation. Really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun and I'll talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Janice. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 264. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. and look forward to connecting again next week. They'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.